Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, good morning to you. If anybody's there, we're starting about uh, 25 minutes late. Um, and that is a result of a, a c- computer uh, that didn't want to work today. So um, I, <clears throat> we, I'm going to try to uh, do a full hour here and uh, hope that some of you are able to, to listen later. Um, there certainly is no paucity of news to, uh, to address that has happened uh, in the interim from uh, the last show we did on Thursday. Uh, just to set the date, it is July 29th, uh, Monday. A morning that's not starting out well. I forgot my my bottle of water that I always bring. I went straight back to the canteen here, stuck my buck in a in a um, the vending machine for the liquid refreshment that they have available, none of which I wanted. Uh, The least objectionable one was uh, Diet Coke, I think. I pressed the button for Diet Coke, and out came Dr. Pepper. Seems to me the last time, and I cannot tolerate this, the last time um, I put some money in that machine and pushed the button, I also did not get the the drink that whose button I pushed. So what is it? It's like a Russian roulette vending machine back there. It's unbelievable. I will never do it again. So anyway, and then the computer goes down. <laughs> it's just Monday, Monday. All right, I'll just jump in. Let me have my say about uh, the latest uh, horrors perpetrated by you-know-who. Trump has clearly uh, decided... uh, Thank you for calling calling uh, studios and call screener line. Best shot at uh, the election is, I guess, to start a race war. That was an invalid (laughs) show number. I can't... Please re-enter your show number. We did not receive a response. Goodbye that um, he seems to have uh, gotten stuck on as a sure means of of winning. Um, It's so blatant now, and it's so long before the actual election that I I really fear uh, what is going to and sue. I really fear uh, that this man is willing to destroy this country to maintain his position. And he's well on his way. Well on his way. Uh the latest, I'm sure you've seen it, I'll just, for for the record, I'll read his tweet over the weekend. 
Representative Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully. Here's Trump again doing what he does, which is project onto others what more reasonably uh, applies to himself, exactly as he shouts fake news whenever something is true (laughs) but unpleasant to him. And it is what he points to others about that if you flip it around, it has finally reached its proper target. He projects constantly. Representative Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully, shouting and screaming at the great men and women of Border Patrol about conditions at the southern border, when actually his Baltimore district is far worse and more dangerous. His district is considered the worst in the USA, Cumming District is a disgusting, rat and rodent-infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. Uh, He only uses words like filthy and infested um when he's talking about people who aren't white and since baltimore is a majority black city um this is not shocking he is clearly signaling that he can't comprehend how any human would live in such conditions and since we know a lot of African Americans live there, the, the, the sense is, is that they are not quite human. It's certainly not humans that we can relate to. Uh, I found out something pretty interesting this morning. Uh, one of the biggest slumlords in Baltimore, whose properties have been cited hundreds of times and fined, for infestation is Trump's son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yep, Kushner. He owns, his company owns, what is it, a ton, like a thousand, uh, can't be a thousand properties, a ton. I'm sorry I don't have the exact numbers here. So, um, interesting that if conditions are so deplorable, and they're deplorable because of absentee uh, landlords who are just trying to shake as much money out of their poor tenants as they can, apparently they threaten tenants constantly with eviction, uh, they they terrorize them into not complaining or making complaints. Uh, the the housing people in Baltimore certainly are fully aware of uh, Kushner Properties being a particular uh, problem in that city. His. 
I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say uh, about it. Oh, ooh, wait, I do have here. Uh, how many Kushner owns? Uh, <laughs> okay. Kushner owns more than a dozen apartment complexes that have been cited for hundreds of code violations and according to housing people in Baltimore, his properties provide substandard housing to lower income tenants. He's a slum lord. It's how he makes his money. He uh, started operating in, uh, in Maryland in 2013. He owns almost 9,000, I knew there was 1,000 in there, 9,000 rental units across 17 complexes, uh, many of them in, in Baltimore. Uh, Jared Kushner is enriched by providing this substandard, mice-infested, moldy, uh, not-up-to-code rental units to poor people who have very few other places they can go. But if you take all those poor people's dollars that they give for living in these hell holes that Kushner owns, you come up with a real tidy sum at the end of the year. Kushner properties in Maryland generate at least $90 million in annual revenue. Spokespeople for his company uh, refused to answer any questions yesterday about their properties and the history of those properties, but uh, did release a statement saying, Kushner Companies is proud to own thousands of apartments in the Baltimore area. 2017, his properties uh, were responsible for more than 200 code violations in one calendar year. Repairs were only made after threatened, uh, after the county threatened fines, uh, and even after warnings from the city and county violations on nine properties were never addressed. Uh, Tenants of Kushner Properties uh, ha consistently report, here we get to infestation, uh, report mouse infestations, mold, and maggots. So, interesting, huh? But somehow Elijah Cummings is to uh, blame. And he ain't pocketing 90 million a year, taking poor people's money 
and giving them in return substandard, mold, maggot-infested, mouse-infested places to live. So the thing is, we got to get this guy out. I don't, I, I'm, I, impeachment, the election's going to happen before impeachment would even run its course. We need to make sure we knock him out in the election. And that's why what I'm now about to tell you is so chilling. We've talked about how um, Democrats have a, an extraordinary capacity for uh, tripping themselves up for losing elections that, by all indications, they should win. And I'm talking about given the realities of our system, the electoral system, But as Robert Mueller clearly said in his appearance uh, last week, the Russians are, as we speak, already busily trying to infiltrate our voting systems, our election systems, our registration systems. It's known. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell refuses to allow an election infrastructure security bill to even come to the floor. This is a 21st century attack on our democracy by a foreign power. It is known that that same foreign power did the same in our last national election with the intent of electing a puppet known as Donald Trump. They were successful. There is certainly no reason to believe that they won't do it again and in fact are doing it again with nothing, almost nothing being done to safeguard the system that we know has been penetrated and we know is vulnerable as hell. So the Senate Intelligence Committee, now this is interesting, the Senate Intelligence Committee which is headed by, I think, a pretty honorable Republican, uh, whose name is, what, Burr, right? He has, he's pushed back uh, more than once, because he's serious about his job, about securing the country, even if I don't agree with his politics. And so he, his committee has just concluded, last week, concluded 
part of a investigation, a report that they've been working on about how vulnerable our election system is. In other words, this part of the Senate, under this guy, is actually functioning. The report is called Russian Efforts Against Election Infrastructure. They released it, but it is almost totally redacted. Uh, the reason being that they don't want the Russians to know what we know. Um, and I do understand that. But that committee, at least, has been seriously trying to understand how compromised our election system is. They've uh, interviewed over 200 witnesses. Other volumes of the report are going to be coming out in the future, uh, including volumes that will deal with Russia's effort to use social media to influence uh, our our election to by influencing uh, voters by dividing Americans um, and they do believe that the Russians were pretty successful in that particular regard uh, in in the last uh, presidential elect election uh, the report they put out guys is terrifying I mean even the stuff you can read, which ain't much. The Senate Intelligence Committee has concluded that the election systems in all 50 states of these United States were targeted by the Russians in 2016. Every single state was targeted by the Russian, Russians. And Mitch McConnell, who runs the Senate, the day that report came out, which was last Thursday, Mitch McConnell again moved to block consideration of election security legislation. The report says in as much as we can see what the report says. Some states, they're especially concerned about New Jersey for some reason. I guess New Jersey is just sitting there ready to be totally taken over by the Russians. It says some states like New Jersey appear not to have the money to fix their voting machine infrastructure that has no paper backup to its balloting process, meaning even after an election, there is no way to do a recount and audit of any type to see if, in fact, votes were tampered with and or properly counted. Other states, and they don't name the states in the report. It's state one, state two, state three, state four. Other states, the report says, 
have highly vulnerable registration databases. And that means that the Russians could rather easily go into uh, voter registration databases and remove registrants, right? So that when people show up to vote, they'll be told that, in fact, they are not registered. Um, Now, interestingly, when Barack Obama was president and the first indications that the Russians were up to something was occurring and Obama's people were fearful of talking about it much in part because it would look like they were themselves perhaps interfering in the election trying to help Hillary everything looking very political prior to the election. But Obama had a guy named Michael Daniel who was his cybersecurity coordinator. And Michael Daniel at that time was convinced that the Russians were fiddling around in probably all 50 states. And he figured they were doing it in all 50 states, even though he didn't have proof, because he says he knows the way they operate, and they're thorough. Why not? You got 50 states, let's go for them all and see where we hit pay dirt. But it took two years since that, for since he came to that conclusion, for official intelligence assessments to say, you know, that is what happened. Meanwhile, the position that guy held, cybersecurity coordinator in the White House, guess what? That position doesn't exist anymore. That position does not exist in Trump's White House because the last thing he wants is election security. He needs those Russians to give him a second term. Here's the reality. There are currently no mandatory rules from the federal level that require states to implement even minimal security measures. There is nothing, there's not even any, any sort of like uh, voluntary federal standards saying, hey guys, this is really what you, know, you should do if you want to ensure your, your people uh, are participating in a, a real election as opposed to a sham election. Individual states say they got no money. They can't do this. Another report that I saw over the weekend said, says this, federal officials say they are particularly worried about New Jersey 
where only three counties are making the first efforts to create a paper trail for balloting. And they say the other two states that are a big concern are Texas and Pennsylvania. They don't go into any detail about why, but we are voting on, I know here in Allegheny County, antiquated equipment. And here's, here's, here's where things get crazy. Um, the feds don't control the election system much. I mean, there's a federal election commission, but it's not like they have a lot to say about how the states run their systems, and more importantly, if you look at each state, and you know this, the state itself doesn't really control much. That then goes down to a county level. Now, there's a ton of counties all over these United States, and many of them are poor as hell. And many of them are not run well. And many, many, many of them have antiquated voting equipment. And they don't have the ability, certainly not in the 18 months we've got until the next big vote, to change their systems. But the Russians, they got equipment. They got equipment and they can have a field day. Some of the folks running county election systems won't have any ability to even know if they're being hacked. They won't know what's going on. And we as a nation are sitting here doing nothing. It is the one thing Mueller managed to rouse himself to clearly say last week. They're doing it now. <coughs> it's also assumed the Russians will not do this time what they did last time. They'll step up their game. So here we sit in Pennsylvania or wherever you're sitting <coughs> and we got one goal to get out our vote to get to the polls to vote for whoever is running against him. But you see there's this problem. The system that we use to vote <laughs> is ridiculously unsecured. And there is no leadership on this issue. As we know, you can't even, his staff will not even bring this issue up with Trump. 
election infrastructure security is absolutely verboten. He goes ballistic. <laughs> because, of course, he knows that it's how he got elected. And it's how he's going to get reelected. Another frightening little piece of information that the intelligence community has uh, found is that uh, there is increasing evidence that Iran is uh, nosing around also experimenting with the possibilities of fiddling with our elections. And those are just the ones we know. Okay, we know the Russians, we know Iran, who knows about China, who knows about North Korea, who knows? As Trump famously said, it could be some 400-pound guy sitting in his underwear on a bed somewhere with his computer. At a minimum, every voting system in this country needs to have a voter-verified paper trail. And believe me, we ain't anywhere near it. So I ask you, what are we supposed to do? Let's say he's reelected. Are you going to believe the vote? Are you going to trust if you live in a red state and you're voting blue that your vote's going to be counted? Are you or you live in some poor I don't know. This is an insane system. This is insane. And we are you know, here's a guy who build a wall, build a wall. He's telling his people that the threat to our country is some desperate brown people trying to come here for a better life. Okay. While he does nothing to secure the basic, the fundamental, the... the absolute foundation of our country and its system. We the people, that we get to vote and every person's vote counts. The more this information is out there, more and more people are probably going to say it's fixed. Maybe the fix is already in. Frightening. Huh? If you're paying attention, it's frightening. And, I mean, while we get off on, you know, his latest distraction of race baiting and, uh, and, and stuff that he's doing right now, the fact is, is 
the important work of trying to secure a system that will allow, if it's working, allow us to rid ourselves of this destructive force that is Donald Trump is not being attended to at all. Not at all. frightening I know um, because we didn't start the show on time there are no callers there are no because people gave up on us um, so right yeah there's nobody so I'm just um, babbling myself but I for those who are listening later and usually do um, I think the reason you're not getting anything other than me is because we did not we are not able to start the show on time and and people just uh, left, and who can blame them? Uh, I do want to uh, share with you, and, and maybe you saw this too, what the Baltimore Sun uh, in its editorial uh, about Trump and what he said about the city and county of Baltimore. Um, part of what they said in response this is the end of a scathing editorial. Finally, <clears throat> while we would not sink to name-calling in the Trumpian manner or ruefully pointing out that Trump failed to spell the congressman's name correctly, we would tell the most dishonest man ever to occupy the Oval Office the mocker of war heroes, the gleeful grabber of women's private parts, the serial bankrupter of businesses, the useful idiot of Vladimir Putin, and the guy who insisted that there were good people among the murderous neo-Nazis that he's still not that we want to tell him that he's still not fooling most Americans into believing he's even slightly competent or that he possesses a scintilla of integrity better to have some vermin living in your neighborhood than to be one That from the normally more restrained editors of the uh, Baltimore Sun. Um, and now just because we need a li little break, I'm going to talk to you about um, somebody that I've always thought was amazing, but I don't think a lot of people know about her. And I first learned about her when I went to journalism school a million years ago. And then when I ended up in Pittsburgh, I remembered that she'd come from here, this amazing woman. And I'm talking about Nellie Bly. 
that was her her professional name. Uh, she was born, let me see, was it Cochran? Um, she was born in Pittsburgh, and I can't remember her first name, but her last name was Cochran, I'm pretty sure. And she was a woman so ahead of her time, it was <laughs> incredible. So, I mean, she's born in like 18, right after the Civil War, I think. Um, and as, and she starts working as a reporter here in Pittsburgh for one of the papers here. And she was, for her day and age, unbelievable. If there were strictures, and you know there were, on women doing men's work, on women being taken seriously, uh, Nellie Bly didn't give a damn. When she was 23 years old, She went to New York and she barreled her way somehow into the editorial offices of, um, I want to say Joseph Pulitzer. Yeah, it was. It was Joseph Pulitzer, you know, the Pulitzer Prize. He, at the time, ran uh, the biggest newspaper in New York and this 23 year old girl wearing a corset and you know the whole bit stormed somehow into his office and she said to him I'm going to give you the greatest story ever I just need to be sure that you will have my back. And she, he was so astonished, Joseph Pulitzer, that this little wisp of a woman had the nerve to do what she had done to get his attention. And then he was blown away by what she told him she was going to do. She was going to pose as an insane person, to get herself stuck into the insane asylum in New York City. Uh, it was a place called, I'm trying to remember, Blackwell, I believe. And this was like one of these nightmares. Nobody knew what happened in these places. So Nellie Bly says to Pulitzer, I'm going to go in undercover. And he said, well, how the hell are you going to get out? And she said, I don't know. But I'm going to go in. I'm going to get you the greatest story ever. And damn if she didn't. She could have died in there. She could have been killed the story that she came out with was so horrific that the Pulitzer's paper ran with it and ran with it and ran with it. 
She was subjected to torture, She, as all the women were. It was unbelievable what she uncovered. Here's one thing she said in one of her reports. Take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up, and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on straight-back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during those 14 hours. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would surely make her a mental and physical wreck. She talked, managed to talk to women in there. Some were insane. Many were not. They were stuck there by husbands or family members because maybe they, you know, they were women who had a point of view or something. Many were immigrant women who didn't understand English and had somehow mistakenly gotten uh, stuck there. They thought they were going to a poor house. Um... She was there for 10 days. She was, felt she was starving. She feared for her life. And she got lucky because Joseph Pulitzer somehow got his lawyers to get her out. And they then proceeded in the paper, the New New York World, it was called, started to print this expose in October of 1887. And it went viral in those days. Other newspapers picked up on it, interviewed her. People started, had, and of course, the place cleaned itself up real fast because they knew others were coming in to see it. But she followed up this with so many other unbelievable uh, exposés. She wrote exposés about uh, baby-selling rackets, about uh, factory workers and the conditions they were working. She was an incredible investigative journalist she was fearless and she was operating in a we think it's a sexist society now my god and i think the one thing she did that most people might remember might remember have heard of is that she when jules verne wrote Around the World in 80 Days, she again told Pulitzer, I can beat that. I am going to go around the world. I will, and and I'll do it in less time than Phileas Fogg or whatever his name is. She did. (laughs) Uh... 
72 days. In those days, 72 days, Nellie Bly circumvented the globe. She died of uh, pneumonia in 1922 at the age of 57. Um, the Washington Post wrote a piece about her because I guess there somebody is finally putting up a a statue or something uh, of her, a monument, and the monument is going to be placed at the site of the insane asylum that uh, that she was incarcerated in. There's currently a competition for an artist to create the memorial. And uh, that's it. She was born Elizabeth Cochran, Pittsburgh, PA. Nellie Bly. <laughs> Where's the Nellie Bly Bridge? Huh? In Pittsburgh. We like naming things after famous people. She's amazing. Not only that, she was beautiful. God. So, well guys, I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang it up there because I've got a, it's past my normal operating time here and I have an appointment I've got to get. So I don't think we filled quite an hour. Maybe we did 45 minutes or so. Whatever. It's what I got, and I think I gave you a lot of stuff. So um, I hope we don't have technical glitches. We might n need to start a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter or something, to get us a new, uh, new, new computer. You know, being affiliated with uh, something called a newspaper, which I am, is not the smartest business model these days. Um, newspapers got nothing. They got no money. They're as poor as the counties that are supposed to revamp with no federal help their um, their voting systems. So I don't know. Somebody wants to donate a really nice computer uh, to yours truly. God, would I be grateful. So that's all I got to say. Tomorrow uh, we'll talk some more and... Uh, and my sister Susan, if she remembers, will be joining us. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.